I started this business about 16, 17 years ago, and the why in my mid-40s is different than the why of me at 61. And so I think one of the important things to remember and recognize when we answer that question is to be okay with the fact that it can change from year to year and week to week and day to day. And that's okay. In fact, not only okay, I think it's good that we kind of reflect on that question ourselves. And one of the main reasons I think it's important to reflect on why is because it's part of the practice that can keep us tethered to the reason we started the thing in the first place. Otherwise, we find ourselves sort of adrift. Many of us find ourselves adrift. And this is just one of several things that we can do is ask ourselves that question. Hi, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. It's so hidden by all the negative noise in our media that I'm calling this wave a conspiracy of goodness. Yes, it is still an amazing world out there. And on this podcast, we'll introduce you to the people who are making it that way. Hi, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, host of this podcast and founder of its mothership website called The Goodness Exchange. It's a global website where you can have instant access to good news with no politics, no ads, no pop-ups or agenda. If you're tuning out the negative news more and more these days, this podcast and The Goodness Exchange can be the place where you get some connection to progress, remarkable inspiration, and you learn about the the countless ingenious ideas that are improving our shared future right now. We're here to shine a light on what's right with the world, and we can get started on that goal right now. Today, we're going to meet Sean Askinozzi and his daughter, Lauren. They are co-owners of Askinozzi Chocolate recently named as Forbes one of the best 25 small companies in America. And there's a reason for that. They are an amazing duo. So far, the company has provided over a million school lunches to malnourished children in Tanzania and the Philippines without any donations. And they've done this in so much in other communities around the world where they purchase their chocolate. We're going to learn all about that today and so much more that we can apply to our own lives and our own journeys. If you're someone who has an aspiration to find more meaning and purpose in life, then today's episode will serve as both inspiration and a bit of a roadmap. Our guests, Sean and Lauren, have each found their niche In their working lives, their family business is um, reinventing one of the world's most important and yet very unsustainable luxury items, chocolate. (laughs) I know. I didn't realize that it was such a bad deal for the people who produce, who actually produce the cocoa beans. But what's happening when we get a cheap chocolate bar is not good. What happens to get it to our mouths is not something that most of us want to be a part of. But the Askinosis are changing that. In this episode, they share their inspiring insights about, um, about this recipe of doing good while doing good business in the world. It can be done. And their vision is regarded by many as the model for what businesses and industry will look like in the very near future. Not because the business world um, will suddenly get a want to get a clean conscience, but because the market will demand it. More and more of us are looking to spend our money with businesses who are also leaving the world a better place in their wake. I read the other day that 69% of us now identify as values-driven consumers. And the companies like the Askinozzi Chocolate, well, they're popping up everywhere to meet that demand. It's a good shift. I'm calling it a gratitude economy that's building all around us. And I'm so grateful that Lauren and Sean are leaders in this world. And I'm so glad that they're here to share their insights with us. So welcome, Lauren and Sean Askenazi. Thank you. Thank you for having us. 
Well, I have to start with the story of why I asked you guys to be on the podcast. I follow a really important business thought leader that many people know of named Seth Godin. And one day I read his, I only read two newsletters. One of them is his. And in one day he wrote this fabulous newsletter that said, don't buy cheap chocolate. And he mentioned your business and a bunch of other things that made me so, you know, the Seth's, Seth's expertise is in being so, he has such a conservation of energy with his words. And in his minimal words about your work and about why we shouldn't buy cheap chocolate, I was in the grocery store the day after and I couldn't buy it. I could not pick up a bag of cheap chocolate. And so I want, I just came home and I said, I've got to, I've got to find out all about these folks. So thank you for coming on the Conspiracy Goodness podcast. And let's start out there. There has to be a why behind the business and the endeavor and the vision that we're going to share with people today. Want to start out, Sean, lead us off on your why. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for mentioning Seth. And interestingly, I started this business about 16, 17 years ago. And the why in my mid 40s is different than the why of me at 61. And so I think one of the important things to remember and recognize when we answer that question is to be okay with the fact that it can change from year to year and week to week and day to day. And that's okay. In fact, not only okay, I think it's good that we kind of reflect on that question ourselves. And one of the main reasons I think it's important to reflect on why is because it's part of the practice that can keep us tethered to the reason we started the thing in the first place. Otherwise, we find ourselves sort of adrift. Many of us find ourselves adrift and This is just one of several things that we can do is ask ourselves that question. For me, one of the things that we write about in the book is that I say a lot is that it's not about the chocolate, it's about the chocolate. And what I mean by that is that this is, we're a very small family business and we make chocolate that wins awards around the world. And we're really proud of the quality of the chocolate and how great it tastes. And we hope that people buy it and share it with others because it just tastes good. And it's, it's a good value. On the other hand, this business has nothing to do with chocolate. It has everything to do with another word we use a lot, and that's kinship. And kinship is possible for us especially possible in the supply chain. You know, we work with farmers from around the world, cocoa farmers in Tanzania, Philippines, Ecuador, and the Amazon. I'll be going to Ecuador and the Amazon two days and meeting with farmers that I've worked with for years. That's kinship. And I was in Tanzania in April and and working with farmers and was able to see a preschool that Lauren and I saw under construction in 2019 before the you-know-what started. And then I saw it fully opened with kids and we built that preschool. Farmers run it, we built it. So that's kinship. That's the why for me right now. That is lovely. That is so much about being a part of something bigger than yourselves, which I think is sort of fundamental to the understanding that I got through a quick um, scan of your book. I, I'm meeting you and did not have time to read the book. So we might have to have a whole separate conversation about that. So Lauren, I got goosebumps from that. Why? <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> I mean, this is a hard act to follow. And also it's not necessarily what, what, folks want to do is just stay to, to stay in a path. But I think you've carved, it sounded to me like you've carved out your own path and your own life. <laughs> I have, I had, I was 15 when my dad started conceiving of this business and had just started university at the time. And I loved the opportunity to be a part of helping him kind of formulate the beginnings of the logo and the packaging and the website and all of those elements. But, you know, I stayed involved in our little family business throughout university. I was working in our retail storefront. I was calling Whole Foods stores when I was 17 saying, will you buy our $5 chocolate bars? And they retail for 10 and people would laugh in my face. And so it was a, it was great experience. And I knew that when I graduated, I wanted to jump in full time and really 
see this through with my dad. It was deeply important to me to find a career where I felt like I was a part of something bigger and contributing to the world. And I have always relished being an independent learner and figuring things out and certainly working in our business and in our industry has offered me a lot of opportunity to help craft the conversation around craft chocolate. And so for me, my why has been and really continues to be connecting our consumers with our farmer partners and featuring our farmer partners and their faces and their stories and helping to create the value around this $12, $14, $15 chocolate bar. It's an important question that we should be able to answer. And so I'm particularly passionate about shining a light on female cocoa farmers and deeply involved in the community development work that we do that, that, you know, my dad mentioned at Origin and, and those things are my favorite parts of my job. I continue to have more opportunities to sort of grow into, you know, these passions of mine, especially now that I'm a mother myself. So, mm. <laughs> And that too, right? You're helping to build a future for somebody you know and love. Oh! That's a great, I hope people can see the picture. Is that your daughter? That is Goldie. That's my daughter. Oh, <laughs> what a cute, I hope people can see that picture. Uh, that's a true grandpa too, ready with that picture so fast. Um, so, I, you know, so what I love about what you just said. I have um, 6,000 more where that came from too, by the way. And I'm not kidding. We can make a slideshow at the end yeah. of Goldie. <laughs> so, Lauren, I think that what I hear you saying though to also resonates with something I've been noticing as a through line with your generation is that your generation just never wants to work for the man. They want to make a difference. So many in your generation want to make a difference right off. And I use that, the man expression. It's an old expression, meaning, you know, just go to work, do what somebody tells you, just slog along, right. um, make a living. And I really see in your generation a, an entirely different way of trying to make it work, trying to do something important in the world and support your family and have real life. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing that too. You know, it's something that we've written about in our book and we travel and speak and certainly my dad, you know, speaks to people all over the country about this idea. And it's definitely true among my friends. And it seems like at the very least, if somebody isn't necessarily in a spot in their career where they're feeling extremely fulfilled, that they at least want to be supporting companies that are embodying their values. You know, people are really trying to vote with their dollars. We take that very seriously that people are trusting us and what we say about direct trade. And that's why transparency is such a critical part of our business model and the way we connect with our customers. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're going to get into this business model because I believe it's fundamentally what people are seeking these days. People are seeking out businesses that have found a way to, to do good business while leaving a wake of goodness. Like we're not going to, most of us as consumers are not going to put up with just anything goes so we can get our thing, whatever it is delivered tomorrow. We are wanting to spend our money in places. I call it the gratitude economy. I think you guys are leading in this thing that's opening up called the gratitude economy. But before we go into that, I really want Sean to talk about this transition because as you expressed, you know, you were driving along in that direction and, and things were, things could facilitate each other as you went along the path. But Sean, I understand that you were a successful criminal defense attorney before mm -hmm. you took on chocolate. That's right. You know, it's, I'm sure a lot of your viewers, listeners will relate to this, but I did that job for almost 20 years and I really felt called to it. I loved it. I loved criminal law. It was very exciting. And I felt like I was in a place that I could really make a difference, especially for the underdog. And my my work was very intense and it didn't seem all that stressful to me until it did. And this is the way it goes sometimes. Our body will be the, the most noisy neighbor, so to speak, telling us what's going on when we're not aware of all the other things. And so my body was starting to tell me that it, time was up for that career. And so I spent about five years trying to find something else to do all while still practicing law 
because I couldn't just step off the bus and live. I needed to make a living. And so that path, that's the story of that path is much of what is in the book and written in a way that hopefully people can see themselves in the story and connect with this idea of sometimes almost desperation of trying to find the next thing, especially for those of us who are really driven, very ambitious, and need a passion to kind of light the fire every day. And there were a lot of opportunities for me to invest in this or that or buy this thing or that thing, but I just wasn't finding it. And it was really, really a struggle for me, a real, a big struggle. And I was doing some volunteer work while I was practicing law. And this volunteer work sort of was a very circuitous way for me to consider other alternatives. And I started experimenting with chocolate, making some desserts and stuff. And then I had this idea to go to the Amazon and learn how farmers influence the flavor of chocolate by how they grow the cocoa beans. And then within three months of that, I was in the Amazon. That's how it started. Wow. So there's two elements there that I noticed. You know, I've done over 100 interviews now on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast with people like you guys who are fundamentally changing the future for us all. And one a through line, there are two through lines in what you just said, Sean. I'll ask Lauren about it, about one of them. So Lauren, um, your dad mentioned uh, a level of volunteerism. You know, I, I have noticed that a lot of the people in the world that are happiest, le- less focused on the daily ups and downs and stuff, have some kind of a volunteer aspect in their lives. Talk to us about what you've seen, because I'm sure you see that. And, and you're in charge of marketing and so forth, but I'm sure there's like a just do good in the world mm-hmm. sort of thing going on. Yeah, definitely. In fact, that's one of our taglines, tastes good, does good. You know, I grew up in a home with parents that prioritized and really lived the idea of serving people other than themselves and thinking of people outside of themselves. And so I was lucky that I got to see that. So, of course, I grew up being involved, you know, since I was a child and volunteering with different organizations. And I think the idea of I want to be a part of something outside of myself was so critical and central to the work that we do directly with cocoa farmers when my dad started the business. And, you know, we still are profit sharing with farmers today, but now we're doing so much more. You know, we we have empowered girls and enlightened boys programs. And so that's the, for us, the doing good part that is it does make us feel good, but it also feels like good business. You know, we truly believe that these these initiatives that that are always in, in partnership with our farmer partners truly make our chocolate better and they make our business better. But I think it's so important. Even now in my life, I serve on a, a board of an organization called Girls Empowerment Network here in Texas, and it's just deeply important to me. And it's something that I, you know, am aiming to show my daughter that. It doesn't have to be something big and elaborate. And sometimes it's, you know, just going into school or talking with students and letting them know that they're important and they're valued. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's something almost like there's a blurred line between volunteering and what you're doing with your business life there because you are, you have put doing those good things because we're going to get into some of those good things. It's astonishing. That's all I can say. All the extra good on the side that you guys are generating is just terrific and and i think that's the way the future we're gonna we're gonna be able to blur the lines between volunteering and work it it doesn't they don't have to be separate things you can if i could just if i could just insert one tiny little footnote to that point and that is and and i think this also highlights what lauren is saying when she goes to schools they're in and around Austin, Texas, and works directly with girls that are part of the Girls Empowerment Network. One of the things that we find is if people are willing to enter into that space without pre-expectations of who is the service giver and who is the service receiver, then they will find 
that the prospect for role reversal and transformation is much higher. And so what we see is that the so-called healer becomes the healed, the teacher becomes the student, and this is where real transformation happens. This is why volunteering time and service, this is why it has the great possibility to really evolve the consciousness of our world and is evolving the consciousness of our world and our universe. I have to show people, I, if you see me looking down, I am writing furiously. You guys are both saying things <laughs> that I want to make sure make our show notes. That is is fundamentally the truth, isn't it? Protecting everyone's dignity and giving people agency. It's all about the blurred lines that you just said. The teacher becomes the student, the healer becomes the heal, all that. Lovely. That is so lovely. Okay, so, Sean, then, back to something you said originally. I mentioned Lauren. I wanted to ask her about that. But the thing I wanted to ask you is, it's like you left some room for serendipity on this journey. Sometimes people are too hard on themselves. They want the next thing to come immediately. Talk to me about this world. Yes, and, you know, I'm really concerned about that, especially as we are looking in our rearview mirrors at the Great Resignation and now hearing about quiet quitting. I worry about many people who are now sort of tapping their fingers, looking at the computer screen, thinking, oh, wow, I just left that job. Now I'm in the new job and it's not what I thought it was going to be. What now? And this is the, this is what we do. And I think that if some who feel called to this work can be patient with what it is that they're seeking and what they're trying to learn and what they're trying to find and do some real interior work, some real reflection, meditation, and just work on themselves, that they can find space to really have a better understanding and greater clarity about what it is that they're called to, really called to, and really, really almost compelled to do next, which might be another job or it might be staying right where you are. And so if you just you spend your life on Indeed and you're just going to the next thing, there isn't room for, to use your word, serendipity. It's, there's no room for it. And I think the information age and social media and Google and all of those things are such a distraction that they have really constricted our possibilities when it comes to serendipity. We don't allow for it. I know I didn't. That's why it took five years. Because as a lawyer, I was trained to turn over every stone, to research everything. If I was going to face you in the courtroom, I knew every single thing that you were going to say or what you might say. Well, there's not a lot of serendipity there. It's all planned out. And that's the way I approached finding my next job. And it just doesn't really work very well. Not if you want to feel like it's for the long. Yeah, your story and mine, Sean, are similar in that same way. I was a dentist for 25 years and I had amazing professional life. Ah, the love and great things I shared with people. My patients taught me way more than I ever could give back to them. And yet I kept seeing this, this doom and gloom in the news getting bigger and bigger and affecting people's attitudes who'd I, who I'd always known as cheerful. And they kept saying, somebody's got to do something about this. Somebody's got to do something about this. And then one day, a series of events happened over a weekend where that next Monday I woke up and I said, it's going to be me. (laughs) But I think I was trying to be too predictive as well to, yeah, but the three events that happened in a weekend were all serendipitous and led me to where I am today with uh, the Goodness Exchange and this podcast. So there is hope for people <laughs> there right. who are wanting. And so while we're here, I, I can't wait to get to the chocolate, but I guess we need to talk about the book a little bit here because we're right here trembling on the edge. So the book that you guys have co-authored is called Meaningful Work, A Quest to Do Great Business, Find Your Calling, and Feed Your Soul. I think this is at the heart of the great resignation. People were questioning whether they could do what they're doing for another five years and be happy or 10 or three. So tell us, uh, Lauren, tell us how you got involved in this book and whose idea was it first and (laughs) where did you start? Well, the book is really my dad's story. Um, I was honored to be a part of it, but he'd been approached for a long time. 
in the years leading up to releasing this book by people saying, you've got to write a book, you know, people want to hear about this, people want to know about this business model. And so that was, you know, kind of one of the catalysts. Of, I think he felt like he was ready to get this story out. And it was, uh, to use a, you know, overused expression, labor of love. <laughs> I mean, it was it was three years of, of my dad and I working back and forth on Google Docs. And gosh, we learned so much. And Maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I thought, well, if one person reads this and does something different or feels inspired, you know, feels encouraged, then that'll have, you know, made it successful. And what's astonishing is that we get to hear from people that email us fairly often about that they read the book and it inspired them to do this thing in their life. And it's just been really rewarding and really special for me as a daughter to obviously I get to work alongside my dad and travel to these far flung places. And we have these great experiences, but to get to understand his life story on an even deeper level was really meaningful for me. And it's something that I treasure and I, I, I won't forget. So, you know, the book, it's great. I'm glad it's out there. It's this product that I'm really proud of, but it was also a very deeply meaningful time in our relationship. Yeah. And I'm sure most people wish they had, a, you know, a tiny fraction of that kind of connection, any kind of connection like that, where you both were pulling a sled in the same direction and you got to most days. learn each other's rhythms yeah, right. and all that. Right. Most days. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. It also had its challenges, but I mean, that's something we talk about sometimes too. I mean, we, we working with your child, I'm sure isn't easy. Working with your parent is not easy. And it's something that we actively work on and have worked on for years, both individually, together with professionals, you know, it's something that we wanted to do for our own relationship, but also as bosses and leaders in our company, it was really important that we have a healthy working relationship with one another. So it's, yeah, it's taken work. We're there. Mm-hmm. So, Sean, I'm ha- I have this feeling that we're going to have to talk about the book as in a separate interview because time is short. But if people are already inspired through just this first half of our conversation to look into this, I'm assuming it's on Amazon and every place else. And what what would you direct people to, Sean? Yeah, I I mean, it's on Amazon and available. And and I think the book is arranged in such a way that people will be able to tell pretty quickly if it's resonating with them, you know, and if it feels like something that they will connect with. There's a very, very, well, 16-minute condensed version of a TEDx that I gave that's easily located on the internet as well, kind of a 16-minute version of the book, so to speak. And I should mention too that, and we, as we mentioned at the outset of the podcast, the website is Lauren's voice. And so she is a great writer. She was a great writer in high school and has remained a truly gifted writer and so the book was is just another example where you know it was really a collaborative effort and Lauren just continues to really have a way with words that will connect with people as she said one of her vocations is being able to tell the story that connects the farmers with people who buy the chocolate and that's you know, something else that I think happens in the book, and it's because she's so gifted. And really, I don't say much of anything. The idea is for me to just be quiet and go buy cocoa beans, which I'm going to do this week, and make sure we get a container of cocoa beans to make chocolate with. But yeah. Well, we might as well go here while we're just right here. In the next few weeks, when by the time this interview comes out, people will be able to look at our archives and see a very wonderful interview we did with the Dr. Steve Shepard. And the way you guys are talking right now is reminding me of that, of that recording. Dr. Shepard talks about how we could be looking at the differences in our generations as a tremendous asset instead of a source for friction. And it sounds like you guys have embraced almost exactly what he's talking about in that episode, that we have this opportunity to take the best from our generations and bring it to the table, and or we can just allow it to the generational differences to tear us apart. So I want to make sure that that episode's in the show notes. 
And when we're we're going to take a break, and when we come back, let's talk about let's talk about this business model that you guys are championing. It's something that could be applicable to almost anyone. So let's take a break, and we'll come back. Okay. Hi, Dr. Linda here. First, thanks for joining us today. If you're inspired by the uplifting conversation we're having, I can boost that feeling with something new that we just created for the Goodness Exchange community. Our holiday gift guide just came out. As you might guess, we're trying to do as much good as we can with this effort to shine a light on the number of businesses that are making the world a better place. We've chosen 20 companies that give back to causes that we all care about, like people, animals, and the environment. There's something for everyone at every price point and some exclusive deals inside this gift guide. It's super. And if you're like me, the stress of finding quality of gifts kind of take the joy out of the holiday. So this gift guide answers a lot of problems. And then there's this fact that most people I'm shopping for are very values-based consumers now. They don't want a lot more stuff in their lives that comes from companies that don't care. So this gift guide will make you proud of the gifts you give and will keep on giving long after the new year. This curated guide, you'll find companies who share a passion for leaving goodness and progress in their wake. Do some shopping through the gift guide and they'll feel like you've got a superpower going for making a difference. And then subscribe to the Goodness Exchange. As always, subscribe to the Goodness Exchange. We need to support media that matters, media that's sustainable in in the way it makes us all feel. People who use the Goodness Exchange every day have a spring in their set. They radiate joy and confidence because they know a more complete picture of the world. You can do more and be more in the lives of your kids, your coworkers, your family, and the people around you if you're filled with stories of goodness, remarkable, ingenious solutions, and progress that's happening out there. Get instant access to what's right with the world every day to change your future. Head to the Goodness Exchange and join us for a 14-day trial on us. See if it doesn't put us free in your step to know what's right with the world. Thanks. Okay, we're back, and we are here talking with Lauren and John Askinosi. Do I have that right? You got it. You got it. They are co-owners of an amazing business called Askinosi Chocolates that is, I think it's the future of business in general. And so now we want to share some of these insights from a really broad level that people who are listening to this podcast might take to their own workplaces, might be able to see in their own lives for their own businesses, foundations, work in nonprofits, et cetera, et cetera. Because you're part of something much bigger which I'm calling this wave called the gratitude economy. I think we're all waiting for businesses like yours to come down the pike. So, Sean, before we started recording, I mentioned that I had found a Facebook Live recording of you one day. It was your first one. You admitted that. And you just sailed through it because you were talking from the heart. So, talk to us about the gist of what's happening in the chocolate world, why we shouldn't buy cheap chocolate, and what your business's answer to some of those deep, deep, long quandaries are? Right now, about 70% of the world's supply of cocoa beans and therefore chocolate comes from the West Coast of Africa and Ghana and Ivory Coast. There are approximately eight companies that control most of the buying that happens on the cocoa world market worldwide. And interestingly, if we look at the price of cocoa per metric ton, when adjusted for inflation, it has actually gone down over the last 30 years. So this means that someone... Um, can I have you repeat that? That was, yes. that was interesting. Yes. And at least yes. on my end, I yeah. missed that little detail. I yes. couldn't hear when, it. That when we look at the price per metric ton on the world market for cocoa beans over the last 30 years, when adjusted for inflation, the price has actually gone down for farmers. And so what you see is these big companies that we all know about that you can buy, you know, a three ounce chocolate bar at the convenience store cash register for, you know, a dollar fifty or three dollars. The reason why that is so is because someone has their boot on the neck necks of these poor farmers in Ghana and Ivory Coast and some other places. And we see that these farmers are subsisting on 
a below the United Nations definition of extreme poverty, which would be below $1.25 a day. That's unacceptable. And we find that the number of enslaved children in this cocoa supply chain in those two countries has actually increased in the last 15 years. And there's approximately 1.5 million children in the supply chain, of which about 75 to 80% are involved in what's called by the Department of Labor the worst forms of child labor, which means think eight-year-old with a machete or carrying a backpack of dangerous chemicals and fertilizers. And what you have are companies that we all have heard of who are participating in this process in order to profit and to maintain shareholder value on Wall Street. And so I don't, I mean, these companies have a way out of this. And they've been saying since they've all signed the Harkin Engel protocol in the United States in the early 2000s, that they were going to eliminate child labor and enslaved labor from these supply chains. And they haven't done it. And they keep moving the goalposts. Every year, they have an annual report where they pat themselves on the back for their progress, yet they move the year by which they will have satisfied the goals that were set out in the Harkin Engel protocol. So all that to say, it's no wonder that the chocolate is cheap when they can buy it in this manner and call it chocolate. And we buy it at fill in the blank stores and think, okay, this is good. You know, I'm, I'm getting this big hunk of chocolate for two or $3 and I'm going to go to you know, Whole Foods or Central Market or other stores or online at Askinosi and pay $10 for the same amount of chocolate or $15 for the same amount of chocolate? Yes, you are. And it's a value. It is a great value. We pay. So to let's go from the shadow side to the light side if we can. And what we would say is, and people can look on our websites, we on our website, askinosi.com, we have something called the Transparency Report, where we've listed every single bean purchase that we've ever made since we started the company. And we compare it to the world market price, which of course it's more than that. But more importantly, we compare it to the farm gate price, what farmers would have otherwise received at their farms. And we pay on average 55% more than what farmers would have received over all of these years. And in in 68% of the cases, we're paying them up front. We're essentially giving them 0% interest loans to fund their harvesting process. And in all of the cases, we profit share with the farmer. So when I go back, it's like literally in my suitcase downstairs right now, our financials are in Spanish. So I can give them to the farmers and show them what we've made in the last year, what our expenses were, and how we calculated the profit share that we're giving to them. We call that direct trade. And people can go to our website, and Lauren has done a fabulous job articulating what that means and what those hallmarks of direct trade are. And the people from the other companies, the Mars, the Hershey's, the Barry Calibos, the Nestle's, those people would say, if they were on this call, they'd say, well, Sean, that's easy for you guys to do. You're 20 people. We can't do that. And I would say, yes, you can. You can do that. You have to reformulate your model, but it is possible to pay farmers more money and work directly with them and do it at scale. That's a very long answer to your question, but that's just a little tidbit of what I would have to say about that problem in Africa. (laughs) I'm also going to include a link to the, everything that we're mentioning, by the way, is going to be in the show notes. The link to your transparency report will be there. The link to the, to Lauren's description of direct trade will be there. The link to that Facebook posting that I saw you do, because this is an important, this is so important. It's way past chocolate. It's, I'm sure, and I'll let Lauren speak to this or whatever you want to speak to after your, what your important things your dad said, uh, not the least of which is now that you have a child. Can you imagine a machete in your child's hand at age eight? I saw that photo. I'm not sure it was on your, your website, but I saw that photo and I think of my own kids and it, it just is, it's as motivating as you can be. It's just, just to think that there is something possible and we're not doing it. Because that's the thing. What you guys are doing, I, I interviewed one of the head guys from amazing charity called Charity Water that mm-hmm. is finding clean water for people around the world. And that's how we titled the episode. It's one problem we know how to solve. And it sounds like this is a second problem we know how to solve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Talk to us do. about this, Lauren. <laughs> you know, this is 
something that we're just deeply passionate about and passionate about educating consumers and hopefully not in a way where, you know, making people feel ashamed for buying a Reese's peanut butter cup. You know, we've all, we've all done that, but to the best of your ability, try to understand where your food is coming from and feel empowered, hopefully to ask questions of your local grocer you know, and to ask questions of the website that you're buying your products from. That's when I feel like it's been a great week. It's when we have our customers asking us on Twitter, hey, well, tell me more about this or what about fair trade price versus, you know, what you're paying farmers or... And then what's even really better is when someone else that buys our chocolate says the answer for us, you know, but... It's an enormous issue. And to us, we've been in this chocolate industry for 15 years. And so we think that people know about it, but they don't. They don't. There's still so many people that have no idea that the reason this candy bar costs a dollar is because it's been, you know, made on the backs of, of, of someone who's been mistreated and very often, you know, children. So we used to try to talk about it, but not get on our soapbox about it. And I think at this point, as a company and as owners of the company, you know, it's something that we're talking a lot more about. Well, I think your opening is here. People want to, they want to know. We, we are realizing that there's so much we don't know in this world. And we're realizing that the content in the internet is not always it's not always as illuminating and real as it might be so I, we can't get to the close of this interview without hearing about some of the great things that you're doing all you know you're not only just paying a fair wage to the people producing this unbelievably wonderful thing in their lives chocolate but you're also making sure you're doing good with any surplus. Talk to us about import, empowering girls and enlightening boys and you're feeding feeding kids lunches and all kinds of stuff. Dad, I'll let you. No, go ahead, Lauren. Go ahead. <laughs> it's true. You know, I mean, we we it's not about the chocolate, it's about the chocolate. I mean, we, it, it always comes back to that. We have a nonprofit arm of our business called Chocolate University. And for example, one of the things that we are working on this week is gathering the applications for a group of high school students. And I think this will be our 10th year. We took a break during COVID, but since 2010, that was when the first group went. Every other year since then, my dad or my dad and myself have shepherded a group of high school students to spend a week, two weeks um, with us working alongside our farmer partners in Tanzania, working on community development projects, working in schools, working on building a preschool, working on handing out feminine hygiene supplies to girls in our Powered Girls programs, letting them witness a direct trade international business transaction. And it's something that I know is one of my favorite parts of my job and my dad's as well, because of going back to something he, he spoke to at the beginning of this conversation, which was I've learned more from these high school students, many of whom I'm still in touch with and my dad is still in touch with from our group back in 2010. I learned so much from them and to witness them learn from our farmer partners and from the empowered girls and enlightened boys when they first apply, almost everyone says, oh, I want to go and help. I want to help the people of Africa. And we spend quite a lot of time trying to explain to them, well, what if they're helping you? And and the light bulb goes off usually for these students halfway through the trip, maybe the end of the trip. And it's one of those things that makes my job worth it, you know. But in addition to that work that we do with Chocolate University, we are also, um, we've created an Empowered Girls program. We partner with a grassroots East African organization to host after school clubs for um, about 1,500 girls right now, and basically to to instill self-confidence and self-esteem and teach about gender norms and gender-based violence and for them to know their worth, their inherent worth, you know, raise their voice and be the leader they're destined to be. They work collaboratively with, with the young men in their community because we realized a few years in that we needed a brother program. We needed a program for the boys too that really wasn't something that existed at the time and frankly still is a whole, not just in, in Africa, but worldwide. I mean, we're, we're needing more of that. But we wanted the boys to be bought in to this idea of this egalitarianism and working with the girls. And so 
when we get to go to Mababu, the village where we work, and see the boys and girls cooking meals together for their big celebration they're having, watch them, you know, working as part of a team, you know, hearing about how the boys aren't wanting their sisters to be, you know, married off when they're still in middle school because they value their education, you know. It's not about the chocolate, it's about the chocolate. You know, our farmer partners are there. They're at these meetings and they are mentors to these students. And, um, you know, it's it's life-changing for me, but it's also something I think you can really taste in the final product of an Eskenazi chocolate bar. All right, so I want to direct people straight to your website. I've told you both before we started recording, I had this Seth Godin experience. I had the grocery store experience. I came home and I said, I have to meet these people and I dove into your website. And I'm telling you, it's one of the nicest websites I've ever come upon as far as just being like really clear about this, that, and the other thing and all you're doing and you don't have to wade through a lot of words. You, you just... You have a lot of clarity that what you're doing is making the world a better place. And my connection to it, if I purchase things, is so obvious and feels so good. So I would really, really encourage people to go to your website and just feel a part of something bigger than yourselves. Because these folks have really, they're cutting a path that I think business is going to have to follow. Not because they said business suddenly has a transformational good conscience. That's because consumers are going to demand it. And I love that you guys are at the forefront. So as we close here, and we definitely are going to have to have a separate conversation about the book. But as we close here, I always like to ask people two things. And we have less than five minutes. One is, what do you really wish people knew? This is so important for founders. Like when people ask me that, I simply say, your click is a vote. What you give your attention to is what is going to rise to your own feed, the top, and the world. So treat your click like a vote. Like don't click on about 99% of what would actually catch your curiosity. What about you guys? Do you each have, what do you really wish the world knew? And if if people knew that, things would change. What things would change? Anything. I mean, I'm looking at what you just said. Your wonderful words there were so powerful. It's not like they were going through me that if people knew that a lot of the cheap chocolate in this world is created on the backs of children, that's enough to make me just absolutely run the other direction from their aisle. I know my, and and I think it's, I wish, I would love for people to know the power they have as a consumer. I don't think people realize truly that purchasing from that small business, from that woman-owned business, from that VIPOC on a business, you know, that is keeping the doors open and the lights on. And you may think that your, you know, $50 chocolate purchase is not a big deal. It is. I watch all of the orders come through on our website every day. And I'm grateful for every one of them. I see the notes from people, you know, and I try to reply back. Not a single one of them is taken for granted. And for us, they're directly contributing to the lives of our farmer partners. So, you know, your your purchase matters. Where you spend your dollars matters. With you or just in general out in the world? General, right? Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Sean? What do you think the world Um, really... What I wish people knew is that for the most part, the voice that they hear inside their heads is not their true selves. It is not their soul. It is not really them. And so, what I wish people knew is that there really is something in there. And the something in there is a beautiful expression of humanity that is embodied in love and caring and compassion and it's there, but I wish people would explore it and recognize that that voice that argues with them or puts themselves down or questions them or detracts from their confidence, I wish people knew that that's not really them. That's a separate self. It's a small self. And I think that as we go on in this world, if people understood that we'd have a better world and um, people would buy more chocolate that is good for the world. That's <laughs> lovely. All right. Last question. 
what has to happen next? Like to get you guys to leap to the next level, to have the good just pouring out from where you started and spreading in all directions, expanding. What ha- what would have to happen? Good question. I'll let Lauren. I know. <laughs> I'm going to say people share this interview. Share. You know, I- I'm saying it's all about sharing these days. Yes, We've got to share the cool stuff we run across. Yeah. It's true. I mean, you know, we are can only sell as many chocolate bars as you know, people are willing to buy, and that's many dollars as are going in you know, our farmer partners' pockets. And so, people often ask us, "Well, how can I get involved? How, what can I do? Buy chocolate <laughs> and share. Buy chocolate and share it with your friends. Buy chocolate and bring it to the potluck or to your, you know." work group meeting and talk about us on social media and, and what we're doing. It, it makes a huge difference. I would, I, and I would say in, in companion to the gratitude economy, I think that people can participate in the sufficiency economy. And we write about in, that in the book. And that is asking the question, how much is enough? I mean, when you said next level, well, what really, how do we define that? And what is the next level? And the next level to us and what we write about is it's enough. That's what it is. The next level is enough. And so if enough of us can have that mindset of mindful consumption and mindful acquisition, then we can help each other. I mean, Lauren and I will have more money to pay our workers who deserve more money. Well, they'll have more benefits in addition to health insurance. They'll have retirement accounts with us. We'll be able to retire debt. We'll have better cash flow. These are the questions that we need to ask ourselves is how much is enough? And um, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, you know, this is another example of a moving target, which is okay. But if we can just ask ourselves that question, how much is enough? What do we need to be sufficient? And how can that, how, how can I help this person over here and that person there uh, gain their sufficiency? That's what we need to worry about. Lovely. Well, that's such a great way to to close this interview. I can I can already hope and cross my fingers that you'll talk to us again. We didn't even get to talk about the TED Talk. We didn't get to talk in depth about the book. There's so many more questions I have here. So let's just plan a phase two on this conversation somewhere soon. I hope that you'll take a look at the show notes. There'll be links to everything we mentioned there. And I hope all the connections to goodness and progress that you heard today carry you through your week and you start finding the joy and wonder that we've been talking about. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.